one of the biggest thing that my grandma taught me when she was t teaching me this care is that we, and this is Oregon, right? We cannot shove everything inside a closet and hope the door closes, mm -hmm. which is the same thing with the muscles coming back together. And after the movement of all the organs, you know, because when we get pregnant, they get pushed to like mm -hmm. different yeah. areas. And so one of the reasons why La Cuarentena or the sit-in period or the quarantine time, so many other cultures do it too, right? Is to allow gravity to slowly bring the organs back into place and basically let the ligaments not like fully stretch out back, but slowly come back in and regain their strength. Welcome to the One Strong Mama podcast, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. We're talking with visionaries who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mama four, exercise physiologist, doula, and childbirth educator. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better. And I'm also passionate about coconut LaCroix. And I'm Lauren O'Hayan, a mom of three girls, lover of all things tropical. I have never had coconut LaCroix. And I am known for my work with the core and pelvic floor. We are so happy that you are here. I think you are going to really enjoy this episode. We are joined by Maite, the womb doula, who is a traditional sobadora. This is a hands-on modality, the sobada, that she does, that she was taught directly from her abuelitas, her grandmothers, beginning at the age of five. So she walks us through her journey to the work that she is now doing and has been doing for the last 19 years. The Sobata, I won't explain what it is. She talks all about it, but it was fascinating, amazing, and I kind of want to fly to Dallas, Texas to have it done on me directly from her because sounds just what so many of us need. So this work that she does and that she teaches does a lot to align the abdominal organs, stimulate the overall health of especially the womb. So we talk about things that we are often told or taught is just normal and just something you got to deal with, such as painful periods and cramping, um, diastasis recti, pelvic floor concerns, fibroids. There's a lot of stuff that we just deal with because we don't realize that it's not normal and there is hope and there is things that you can do. So uh, Maite joins us and talks all about that. Another fascinating piece of information that we went deeper into is what she calls the closing of the hips or closing of the bone ceremony that she does with postpartum people. So it was quite fascinating to hear about this practice that she has learned from her culture and that other cultures do as well and that has maybe been lost in a lot of our modern society. So I am so honored and grateful that she came on and that she shared her vast knowledge with us. Enjoy. Maite, the womb doula, is a traditional Sobadora, did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you did. Amazing. Okay. Who was taught by her abuelita, another word for grandmother in Spanish, beginning at the age of five and mentored until she was given the blessing to serve on her own. She has been doing so for 19 years. This knowledge lives in her lineage and was passed to her directly. She now cares for others in Dallas, Texas, at a local community centered wellness center called our wellness community. So I would love for you to, we, we want to hear all about your roots, but um, before we kind of dive into the depth of the conversation, can you just define the word sobada for us, just so we're all on the same page? Is it sobada? And then you are a sobadora. Okay. I see. Got yes. Got you got it all. <laughs> okay. I love that you can pronounce everything. She's in Miami. She, she you, don't you speak Spanish I as well, Lauren? speak a lot of languages. Yes. I love, I love language. I love lineage. I love story and journeys. So I'm really into kind of trying to get it right when I can, but sometimes I can't. <laughs> thank you. Yes. And thank you for asking and always, you know, checking in. So the sobada is a practice that aligns the abdominal organs 
it stimulates the health of the uterus of liver digestive. Um, it's a stimulation that also helps balance the bladder, the ovaries. It allows diaphragmatic. Is that the right way to say it? It's a great way to say it. <laughs> um, release and aids in digestion, improves pelvic floor stability. Um, I do see a lot of clients for fertility, scar tissue re reduction, um, fibroid cysts, like PCOS, uh, hormonal imbalances, painful menstruation, as well as um, in pregnancy, helping keep everything nice and released so that the pregnant person can be comfortable mm -hmm. and um, help the help the baby be in optimal position in that way. When ligaments and muscles are relaxed and released, you see the most amount of um, like optimal positioning. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So yes. could it, so just to make sure uh, it's like an abdominal, a form of massage on the abdominals, is that, am I understanding that correctly? That it's uh, touch onto the abdominals it is touch, but I wouldn't call it a massage. And anyone who's ever received it will definitely tell you it's not a massage. It's more like a focus on specific ligaments, specific muscles and touch releases and pressure okay. points. Okay, so, thank you for correcting me there then. Yeah, so that's more like what it um, it looks like and it, you know, like, okay, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so in, in, in a session, a client would be, supine lying on on their back yes and okay. so we would look and touch for like the we will palpate for um we're looking for pain for inflammation for imbalance right in on un alignment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and that sounds great <laughs> yes and so we're palpating the liver gallbladder spleen digestive system ovaries sloping to uterus bladder and kidneys then we're also checking muscles ligaments tendons and how the nerves react to touch and um, things like that we're releasing stress as well so it's a full body experience okay um and it's intense yeah i want I want some. Um, so tell us, <laughs> okay. So now that we have a point of reference for this, this practice, can you tell us about you, how you got into the work that you do now and, um, about your lineage and where it all came from for you? Yeah. So, um, I, my mom actually got postpartum depression, um, with my brother and basically kind of packed us up and dropped us off with my abuelita, so my grandmother. And um, at age five, that's how old I was, you usually begin to learn self-care. So it's touching your own abdomen, touching yourself and like ensuring that you're healthy. And I know that sounds, we are so intelligent <laughs> at age five. We don't give our children that much um, credit, you know, but all those things, can actually be seen at that age like how um even my daughter age about to be three how she like touches her abdomen and she tells me when she's constipated and needs to use the restroom um and she'll massage herself so I started age five and um a year after living with my maternal grandmother I went to live with my paternal grandmother who taught me how to care for others so for my lineage this is something that you learn at a very young age and you do throughout life but my abuelita would care for others. Um, and I fell in love with it. And I used to hide behind a curtain and watch her. Mm. <laughs> and I really thought I was sneaky. And I never thought that she knew, but she knew. So mm. she started calling me out and started, you know, saying like, hey, come in and watch and, you know, work. And she would always ask her clients and her clients would allow me to touch them. So I started doing work on others at age seven. And I was under her mentorship until 15. Hmm. So it was a whole eight years of apprenticeship, basically. Hmm. And then at age 15, did you, um, did you continue with it or did you pick it back up later in life? So I mostly cared for myself and friends because high school, right, is when I would hear the most mm -hmm. things about like periods, like painful periods, periods that would last um, like 10 days and up. Um, like a lot of clotting, a lot of those things. And I think I would open the conversation a lot because I would always say like, Hey, how's your period? <laughs> Cause Just I normalize it. 
Yes. And it wasn't normal when I was in high school. A lot of people, a lot of my friends were weirded out at first, but I guess knowing me, they were like, yes, okay, let's talk about our periods. I love it. Um, so I did care a lot for myself and my friends at that time. Um, but then at age 19, I was a senior in high school and me and my husband got pregnant with our baby. And I was at the end. I was at the end. I was, I was yeah, I was towards the end. And I, in, when you get pregnant in high school, you have to let the social worker know. They basically have to like check, what, you know, things at home. Th- you know, there's so much more into it that people don't really know about. Hmm. Um, so I had to let them know. And my question to the social worker was what's going to happen now as far as like pregnancy in high school. And she said, well, nothing, you know, you're just going to go to regular classes. And then when it's time to have a baby, you're going to go to the hospital, you're going to get an epidural, and you're going to have a baby. Mm. And so I was really, because of my lineage, I was taught about midwives at a young age. So I was like, well, I don't have to go to the hospital and I don't have to get an epidural. I don't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then it dawned a question on me. I was about like 12 weeks or so. I was like, so what do people in the U.S. do to have babies? Like, do they really just go to the hospital? So I started Google searching <laughs> midwife. Of course. So, yeah. So I, I Google searched partera and it gave me the translation for midwife. And at that time in the FW in Dallas where I, I live, there was only a few midwives. And I quickly like grabbed the one that was closest to me and I booked her. She was close to my high school. I figured like, I could have prenatal visits and, you know, like all those things really quickly, uh, really close together and things like that. Um, The only problem was that I was 19 and she treated me very often like a child. Anything that I said wasn't um, like she didn't take me seriously, which 19, I get it. (laughs) No, it's a big problem, though, I think, in younger mothers not getting treated like mothers. Yes. And I mean, everything... in some countries you are, you know, in some places in the world, you're out there in the workforce, <laughs> raising a family, you know, it's just, it's so cultural too, how we treat people. Yes. And so I lasted with that midwife until my third trimester and I just couldn't anymore. I was mm. like, I was always bringing up Um, concerns that she would brush off she would say well you don't know anything about that and so it like really lit a fire under me I was like and there's more there has to be more like better midwifery care so I switched my into my my midwives that have helped me with all of four of my kids um at during our third my third trimester and um it was everything I wanted it to be. They treated me like an adult. They treated me with respect. They heard me. They, you know, they did everything that I asked that, of course, they could, right? And then I realized, like, there's so much unjust stuff occurring, specifically to, like, teenage moms in high school. They're not educated. They're not given the options, right? Even the social worker, they didn't give me another option. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I just need to do this for everyone. Luckily, those midwives... Uh, gifted me a doula and that's how I found doula like doulaing that's amazing I see how the you know it's amazing to see how the story plays out yeah so once they gifted me the doula they explained to me what she did and how she helped um educate you and give you resources and help you um assist like comfort measures during birth and everything I was like oh my gosh I could do this job and incorporate my culture into it and I could just give everything in that way, Mm -hmm. but also help young mothers. So that's how I walked into doula work. It was 2013 when I birthed my baby and I didn't do my doula course until 2014 and was certified by 2015. And are you actively working as a doula right now? I mean, I know you just had a baby two months ago, Um, (laughs) but in what way do you share the work that you do? Like how, how how is it most impactful? to your community and the community at large, I guess. So currently I only doula my fertility clients. Um, I have a pretty high fertility success rate. And so if you were under my care for fertility, you, I will be your doula if you would like. I also like to give out resources, but I understand that fertility is 
it's a journey and you want to be with the people that you connected with and the people that you saw you through it and understand Mm -hmm. you and know you best. Mm -hmm. So there's that, but yeah, I just had a baby. So currently, currently I'm not doing it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, and so, so are you working or offering Sobata work? Is that something, so is that something you offer? Yes. Okay. Tell us, yeah. Tell us all about that. So now um, incorporating my culture with doula work is becoming your womb doula, right? So I'm teaching you and caring for you through your period, right? Making sure it's healthy, making sure that um, when you want to start conceiving, it's not a struggle, right? Because that happens a lot. People don't check their, their reproductive health until it's time to conceive. We kind of forget it and we kind of like put it, what is it called? Like back of the mind, peace of mind, right? Back burner. Yeah. There's all kinds of phrases for it. Yeah. And so I want to teach you what your period health indicates about your general health Mm -hmm. and how we can care for it sooner than when we're trying to conceive, but how we can also take care of it in postpartum, right? After we've had our babies and in general. Um, So usually I'll take care of you during your, you know, reproductive time. At any time, I see as young as 15 and as old as like, I think my oldest client has been like 92, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so I'll do that. Then we'll get into fertility care. We'll do, um, we can take care of or help with PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids, things that are not often talked about. So that's how I basically became the womb doula to to be that resource for your reproductive health. Okay. And so this practice of Sobata is something that you're very passionate about. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I understood from talking to Lindsay and your Instagram that it it has a very powerful effect postpartum and prenatal. Is it a prenatal practice as well, or is it primarily? Okay. Are you, can you share more with us about? Yeah. Like I would love to hear signs that someone might need this work. I'm sure it's probably something that everyone could benefit from, but what are like the big warning signs of like, I need to go get this work done? Do you want preconception? Do you want prenatal? Do you want? Yeah. Let's, let's start preconception and just like work our way through the, the journey that most people go on. Great. Okay. So the first thing is basically your period. Your period tells you your health, right? We always say pees, poops, period. And I forgot the last one that tells you your health. Sorry. Those you three just are very good. <laughs> right? I'm like, it, yeah, it is. I just, the baby brain, the mommy brain. Oh, totally. Um, but period, as far as periods go, ideally you're, a healthy period should look three to four days long regular bleeding. That means you're not bleeding through anything, but you're not just spotting the whole time. It should be bright red. It shouldn't be brown. It shouldn't be a wine color. It shouldn't be watery or mucusy. Um, cramps are there, but they're not taking you down. And we hear that very often, right? Also movies have made that, um, a way that we perceive our cycles to be normal. Mm. Uh, no headaches, acne, or tender breasts. All of those are signs of hormonal imbalances. And so when we learn period health and we get it as close as we can to healthy, then we can ultimately, when it's time to conceive, it's um, a lot easier. Also, it should be a 28-day cycle. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your work, what is the mechanism for that? So like, do you think it's that we're putting the organs back where they should be, getting the uterus in a better position? Or like, what do you think is the reasoning behind why this work helps with that? So much. So let's talk about uterine tilts. Uterine tilts make for a slower period, which means your uterus isn't shedding in the optimal timing. So you'll realize that you have more clotting, that you have more brown blood, which is more oxidized old blood, right? That just wasn't shed in the appropriate amount of time. What happens is when there's a tilt front or backwards, um, it's just think about gravity, right? It's just a slower process. It can't yeah. go down as 
fast or as optimally as it should. So that's one way, right? Aligning the uterus, making sure that it is not tilted. Second is shedding is a contraction, right? And we contract when we're in our period, we contract during labor, Braxton Hicks, I mean, during pregnancy, Braxton Hicks, sorry, in labor, right? Contractions. And then when we orgasm. So when those ligaments are tight, when those muscles are tight, it doesn't allow the uterus to fully do the contraction to allow you to shed. So by releasing those ligaments, we're ultimately helping, right? And I always say like, you can't, and by the way, that's how you tone your uterus through contractions and all those ways that we just talked about. But I always say you can't sign up for a marathon and just not do any of the warm up, right? The practice. That's Lindsay's that- favorite analogy too. <laughs> I love it. But it's true though, right? Yes. You see it a lot. You're going to cramp up. You're going to be in pain. You're not going to be able to like go the long run, right? And so we want to make sure that your uterus is toned. We want to make sure that everything's released. We want to make sure that everything's in place. Like, you know, like it has so much to do with all of that, that makes it basically, like you said, like the, um, that makes it work. Mm. Yeah. And I can see that, you know, I work of course a lot in with pregnancy and birth and I can see the same thing. You know, a lot of people are told, oh yeah, it's just normal to have a tilted uterus. Just like you said, people are like, oh, it's just normal to have so such bad cramping during your period. We've kind of normalized a lot of things that aren't necessarily normal they don't have to be right yes and and in uh labor which is when we see it the most a tilt can just make labor go a little bit slower yeah yeah exactly so if some so somebody sees you maybe they see you for fertility or they see you for period pain and then now let's say they're pregnant wait can so, I backtrack a little bit yep, is the fertility situation also the same mechanism right just the same you're helping with fertility this system right is helping with fertility finish the sentence because <laughs> <laughs> I like that finish the sentence so once we have all like let's say period health is great. What else is happening? Is there scar tissue? Um, mm. Is there like block of fallopian tubes? Are the ovary, are you actually ovulating? A lot of people don't know when they ovulate or what are the signs of ovulation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it tends to be education, right? But once you pass the education part, then there's also the blocks, what is blocking fertility for you? So the care does help break down scar tissue and it does help uh, open up the fallopian tubes if that was the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it is education because we do talk about ovulation and aren't aware that you can get pregnant the whole month. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, then checking, like teaching them how to check for fertile signs and teaching them how to um, like track it and what ways we can help fertility uh, heighten, I guess you could say through food, right? Nutrition, herbal supplementation, sometimes like regular supplementation and uh, body work, which is, you know, basically the other stuff. We can stimulate ovaries to help them ovulate if they're not ovulating and teach them how to check their own ovaries, how to check their uterus, because a lot of it, I want you to, at the end of care, be able to be more independent of your own body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you do teach your clients how to do this work on themselves? Yes. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more. Okay. So moving on through the stages, Lindsay, you were kind of picking it up there with your question line of question. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking, so we go from periods, fertility, and now let's say this person is pregnant. So what are the big like signs that you see that somebody needs more of this work? What are the ways that this work helps someone during their pregnancy? So I would say lots of round ligament pain, having round ligament pain is common, but it shouldn't be like, I don't know how, um, 
I'm sure like your clients tell you a lot, right? Like I get this sharp pain and it's constant. It's every time I get up, it's literally that round ligament is, it has to stretch, right? Because the uterus is stretching, but it shouldn't be consistent. And every time they get up every, you know, with every movement and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that's one, a lot of back pain, a lot of hip pain, swelling. That's another reason why you, you would need, um, prenatal care. Mm. Um, yeah. what else? It's more about the discomforts of pregnancy, I guess you could say. We are releasing ligaments and we are releasing muscles and we are releasing stress. So are, do, you, do, do you suggest that pregnant people use these techniques prophylactically? Like, did you use them during your own pregnancies to keep things flowing? Or is it more like when there's a problem, let's go in and do some maintenance work? I'm all for preemptive instead of reactive. Okay. Yes. So I would do my own self. So these are techniques you can do on yourself again, right? Like once we've showed you where or how to, you know, do it. Um, But you would do it at least once a week. You ideally want to do it at least once a month on yourself to allow the best results, I guess you could say. Um, And I often say that's, one of the reasons why my, my, none of my children have ever been in a malposition. Um, and my labors have been six hours, three hours, an hour and a half. And my last one was five minutes. Oh, wow. Five the, minutes. The whole labor or from the first contraction. <laughs> Did wow. your midwife so, make it? So I actually went in for a, a regular checkup. Um, okay. and I never allow cervical checks but for the first time she asked me and I said, yes, you know, like just intuition, right? Yeah. Something, something said, just, just check. Right. And so I was 38 weeks and she checked, which was really strange too. I don't know. She never asked either. Like there was something happening where we were mm-hmm. like something, you know? Yeah, I get she it. Went in and she was like, you're at an eight. Have you had any contractions? <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. Like, None at all. Like I have, you know, like I, had nothing. She asked me if I wanted to hang around the birth center. You know, what did I want to do? She had um, regular clients that day because it was her regular clinical day. Um, and literally I let my best friend know, I was like, Hey, I'm at an age. She's like, you're in labor. I'm like, well, <laughs> there's no contractions, but yeah. Like pretty <laughs> close. Yeah. And so I, she literally got there my first contraction hit like a few minutes after she arrived. Cause I was telling her, like, I was talking to her like normal, we were laughing we were crying, you know, like everything. And then I literally put my hand out and to like, be quiet. I was like, just be quiet. And then the contraction hit me. And then my midwife said, I see head. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. And I was just, I looked down and there was a head. (laughs) Wow. That's an amazing story. You know, everyone listening is going to move to Dallas and line up outside your door (laughs) and just be like, now teach us the technique. Oh my God. Do you attribute it to your amazing self-care? I think so. Um, I want to say that my clients who had previous kids prior to receiving care, I know one, um, I think her baby was born like a few weeks before mine. She had her first labor be more than 24 hours. And her second baby came in four hours. And she said she didn't even know she was in labor. Like she just kept telling the midwives it wasn't like real. And is this, is this, so this is something you see all the time with people receiving mm-hmm. this work. Yes. And most of my uh, doula clients who receive the care don't go over eight hours in labor. Okay. So why like, is it not like, how come the whole world is not doing this on to their, like, should every doula have this technique in your I think opinion? That, I think that every doula should at least want to know how to teach their clients to do it. You know, I do believe that. I do believe that people should be more aware of it. And in other countries they do it. Um, and they see, less um like less time in labor I guess you could say less time in pushing less tearing and that's one of the things that I grew up with was that I saw birth happen rather quickly and rather painless and rather you know like it was it wasn't this big like movie scene or what people describe Mm -hmm. to now 
now. Yeah. Um, and what when about issues like, and in, I, I'm, I'm asking you specifically about you right now. So you can say <laughs> that you don't want to answer and we can even edit this question out. But what about pelvic floor stuff or core diastasis recti, abdominal wall separation? Do you, have you seen that in your own body and in your clients? Has this work been helpful? Yes. <laughs> so one of the biggest thing that my grandma taught me when she was t- teaching me this care is that we, and this is Oregon, right? We cannot shove everything inside a closet and hope the door closes which mm-hmm. is the same thing with the muscles coming back together. And after the movement of all the organs, you know, because when we get pregnant, they get pushed to like mm-hmm. different yeah. areas. And so one of the reasons why la cuarentena or the sit-in period or the quarantine time, so many other cultures do it too, right? Is to allow gravity to slowly bring the organs back into place, but, and basically let the ligaments not like fully stretch out back, but slowly come back in and regain their strength. Does that make sense? Absolutely. There's a physical therapist that works out of the UK and her entire, she's done research into pelvic floor prolapse and her entire theory is based on, you just need to work on the connective tissue, like all, like the, the, all the connective tissue, not on the organs mm-hmm. themselves. And when you do that, the organs find their integrity again. Wow. I didn't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. That is pretty cool. I mean, it um, sounds but- similar to what you're saying, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, to work on the integrity of the ligaments and the connective tissue. I mean, ligaments are a connective tissue. So she's yeah. working on the ligaments of the pelvic floor. Wow. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. yeah. She's had amazing so success. I will definitely research that after. <laughs> Yeah. I can send you her research paper. Just shoot me a message. Yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you that information because it is, it supports what you're saying as well. That is so cool. I love Mm -hmm. doing like this work and talking to different people because a lot of people will say like, oh, this connects with this doctor or this person or, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's so much to take on from. Um, and it's really cool to learn more, but, um, what was I going to say? Sorry. About, we were kind of being personal about your own Oh yes, and core stuff, and just kind of the connection between working on working on the ligaments and how that helps support kind of muscular rebalancing and organ rebalancing. I think that's where we were at. Yes. So basically, when we allow all of the like when we allow rest and we allow the ligaments to slowly come back together, right? Like you said, um, the integrity come back. We allow everything to basically we allow everything to heal to avoid prolapses and um, tilts and other postpartum issues like diastasis recti. And so that's what I have seen. I, most of my clients who do the quarantena and do the prenatal care don't have problems with prolapse. Um, They don't have diastasis recti, or if they do, it's very small. And we can, by doing the closing and making sure that everything's back, it usually closes very often. And those who I don't see in uh, postpartum or prenatally or anything like that, who come in for a closing, usually will see their diastasis also lessen. What, what's a closing? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So the closing of the hips is literally closing your hips. So I'll, I'll explain that. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. So we're looking at all the abdominal things, right? We're bringing in everything into alignment. We're allowing those di- those transverse muscles to come back and close, right? We're basically organizing the closet and making sure that door closes. But then two weeks after conception, whether you go full term, abort, miscarry, have a C-section or a vaginal birth, those hips automatically open. And we recognize this because in pregnancy, we feel wider. We are um, thread, I guess it's called the thread. The way we walk changes. Oh, oh gate. yeah, gait. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was like, what is that word? Mm-hmm. There's like a word. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we noticed that, that that's occurring. And we, of course, birth a child in whatever way we do. Um, 
but we mostly see it in postpartum, right? And you hear it a lot. My hips feel different. My walk feels different. My back hurts. My hips hurt. My knee hurts. My leg hurts. One foot is longer than the other. Uh, one foot is wearing and tearing the shoe more than another. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. oftentimes they'll see a PT, they'll see a chiropractor, but there's still more work that needs to be done. And so that's where I step in. So we literally bring those hips back into their proper alignment. Um, and the chiropractor that I work with explained it beautifully because she understands the you know the the alignment part of it and it's different than what chiropractors do because she often explains that they focus on spine and front and back movement whereas I focus on the sides like bringing those hips in does that make sense Mm -hmm. so when you bring them it's not an internal experience from the outside so when you bring them in are you binding them in or what's how do you like what's the process of closing the hips no, we're not binding. We're literally like bringing in that bone okay. into it, like bringing it closer and more inward. Okay. That's amazing. That's fascinating. So you see that helping with a lot of, do you think everyone should do that after they give birth? Ideally? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. So how, cause I know everyone's going to message us and be like, how do I get this work? So how I know you've had all of this passed on to you. Can we talk a little bit about cultural appropriation and like how to receive this work? And, you know, I think there's probably, you probably see a lot of people maybe taking the work on as their own when maybe they haven't been giving the proper, like, go ahead. Does that, does I, that make can sense? Can I ask the, the preface question to that? Yeah, you do it. The preface question I want to ask, which would probably take us there is how is this work being shared by yourself and by others, right? So we're not going to have 10,000 of our members show up at your door tomorrow <laughs> and ask for a treatment unless you give us the green light. Um, so how how is this work being shared? I mean, you have a really eloquent way of speaking about it, but people are going to want to experience it. So let's start with how it's being shared. And then let's start with, is that kosher? And <laughs> what's the kosher way to do it? The short answer is that it's not. So one of the things is that because we are seeing a lot of cultural appropriation, a lot of my like my teachers and people I've um, learned from don't really want this work shared, like taught, mm-hmm. right? And so um, now there's so many online courses and I always tell people just to be very, very, very um, careful with that because if you notice, it took me about eight years to even be allowed to care for someone else. And when it came to bone, it took me, and I'm still technically a student to the bone part because I started about four, four or five, five years ago. Sorry, I'm like having to do math. Um, (laughs) Yeah, five years ago when my son was born, my middle was born 2015. And I'm technically still a student to that. And so usually it's not really taught to outsiders because we're afraid of appropriation and we're afraid of someone getting hurt with, with those online courses. I have received a good amount of people who have been hurt from a closing that was done by someone taught online that was in hands-on. And I always tell people, I'm like, you wouldn't trust a chiropractor that got, that was taught online. And uh, honestly, they're not taught online either. Right. It has to be in person. So I would just be careful with that. Um, the goal was for me to care for outsiders and see if they will honor the medicine so that more of us can share and care for others. But we also, if you want to learn, you need to be committed and knowing that it's not going to be like a five minute course or a 10 minute, you know what I mean? Like, it's not a quick, like it takes years, just like chiropractics, right? Just like a midwife, just like anything else it just takes time. And we're so used to when we want something, we can go buy it at the store. We can, you know, like there's, we don't have to wait for things anymore. It's totally. And people don't even read anymore. They don't, they want everything delivered in like a TikTok format. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is the, that is the, that is the time that is Instagram reels is what people has have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the art of communication days. is completely lost. Sorry, Maite, what were you saying? I agree. 
<laughs> no, and I was saying, I think those are 15 seconds, right? TikToks? Oh, totally. I don't know. My daughter has it. I basically <laughs> want to kill her every time. It's, she knows not to, she only gets like 20 minutes a day. And if I see it, it's the phone is mine for the rest of the day. Ugh, it's revolting. Yes. No offense. If no offense, if you're on it. <laughs> it's no, no, no. I have tried really hard to like understand TikTok so that maybe I can share more information. But like, I just, it's like 15 seconds. I'm like, I don't, I cannot explain anything. In 15 no. Seconds. So <laughs> is that being said, are you teaching courses? Do you, I think I felt like I, I was understanding you saying that you, you do teach courses in Sobata? So I mostly share self-care, Sobata, which is learning our own bodies, which a lot of people don't know. If I was to ask you right now, what side of your body your liver's on, do you know? I do because, I, because I, te- yes, I do. It's on the right most side. Most people body, don't, but though. you're most right. People most don't. people don't, but I teach, I mean, I teach body cent- I'm a movement teacher for 20 years. So exactly. I, we, we were a selected group, <laughs> you know, it's like, but even asking you, you like knew that other people didn't, you know, like absolutely. you're like, I absolutely. Exactly. So we begin with self-care and ideally is to step into the next step at some point. Right. So the first workshop that I usually do in person, which COVID, right. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, totally. Is learning your own self-care and learning where everything within inside of you is and how it should feel um signs or symptoms right that let you know that that body part needs help or care you know support let's say support um and then we can move on to like care for others and then ideally we can keep learning or growing together that's the goal so I've only been able to do this in Atlanta New York and Chicago where I can I've been able to return to keep teaching and sharing Mm, okay and what is your stance on, um, so you train someone in, in this, what do you say to them as far as like Lindsay said, with the cultural appropriation or the sharing or the passing off of it, uh, how should it be done in a way that honors the lineage, which by the way, what is your, like, what country is this an origin of? I know you said your abuelitas, I'm assuming they also live in America, but maybe not. And where were they from? So I was born in Mexico and we're okay. from Veracruz. So okay. we're from the East Coast. Um, our people are Totonaca. And that was actually my first language. Spanish was my second and English is my third. Do you still speak it? Poorly. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard when you don't have, like you start losing mm-hmm. um, as the less you practice, the less that it comes. Um, what is the word? Yeah. Well, it's also two different sides of your brain, like hearing a language and being able, able to reproduce it. And yeah, the less you practice, the less fluent you are. Yes. Thank you. Fluent. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So it is a Mexican, it sounds like it's a Mexican practice mostly. Yes. So it's a Mexican practice. Um, Mayans and Aztecs did it as well. So Mayans aren't Mexican. They're more mm-hmm. of central and I mean more yeah more lower than central like South America um and also a lot of people like in Peru and Chile it's just it differentiates a little bit but it's very alike but you can also find it in um Bangkok belly binding is from Malaysia mm-hmm. and they actually do a type of um sobada before they bind you which when people brought it over here and started teaching Bengkung, they didn't get that part of the, you know, they didn't get that passed down to them. So that's lost when people are practicing it here. Interesting. That is good to know because I see a lot of doulas advertising that they, they offer that service. And I have no idea if they do the Sabata before. Yeah. And so I actually had um, a Malaysian client come in and ask for the sobada so that they can their their parent could find them because mm. they're like I couldn't find anyone that does it and my you know my parent doesn't know how to do it. Um, you will also see another variation of sobada in Morocco. They also have a closing of the hips. Kenyans do it as well. I've been able to connect with so many people as well. Um, there's also I I forget what it's called but. Uh, the Chinese culture also does the uh, variation of sobada. So there's a lot of countries actually that will, or a lot of um, not countries, but cultures that do it, but it's just been so lost here in the U S. 
Are you hoping to, are you reviving it? Are you hoping to be a voice for that? Okay. And you're okay sharing it out of your lineage, but there should be, there should be some form of uh, crediting or should there not be? Yes. Credit, respect, um, and giving back to these communities. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend, she is Muskogee, um, which is, they're indigenous to Alabama, the land of Alabama. Um, And so they are, they also hold this knowledge, but they lost it right through, well, their culture being completely annihilated by Americans. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, there's probably a word for that, but yeah, the description works too. So I've been sharing it with them and ideally is when I share it with anyone that's outside of my lineage, I hope for respect. I hope for credit, right? Thanking our, like specifically my lineage for opening this door Um, and also giving back. Like if you can support people who are Totonaca, people who are, you know, Mayan, who also do this work. Like if you can support them, if you're receiving this care, receiving this knowledge, if you can support those people, that would be great because a lot of them are in poverty. Mm, Um, And so there's that too, but also we don't want to appropriate it by not giving them credit because that's ultimately what happens with appropriation is that we stop giving credit to where it comes from or what, you know, where you learned it. And so then it's like, it's your own, but it's not. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, so good. So. Well, this has been amazing. I think everyone that listens to this is going to need to, once COVID's over, like fly and see you, but um, where can people find you online right now? And what are, what do you have going on that people can come to you for? Oof. I know you're on Instagram yes I was gonna say my biggest platform that I use and sometimes I get I get kicked out of Instagram (laughs) have you really that's it I'm following you (laughs) two weeks ago um for speaking about immigration oh Oh my gosh really and yeah I was talking about um my brother was detained by ICE um, after a girlfriend called ICE on him because he was breaking up the, the relationship. Oh and gosh. I was talking about his experience and he was, deta- he was in and detained for a while. And, you know, they get one cup of six out, like they get one cup of water, six ounces. Um, they don't get anywhere to like, they don't get a bed. They don't get a blanket. They're not allowed to shower. And most of the food, he said, had mold on it or was growing mold um, or it was stale. It's just getting worse also, if you've been reading the news, unfortunately. I don't know how it's possible that it gets worse, but it's... Yeah. Yeah. November 3rd is all I have to say. Right? That's what I keep saying. I'm like, November 3rd, if you can vote, vote. Uh, So is he okay now? Yeah. So he couldn't... We were trying to basically... um, fight the case and he just couldn't he's 21 years old he just couldn't do it anymore and he kind of gave up and said I'd just rather be home than do this you know keep doing this Mm. so he was released and upon being released in Mexico he was um kidnapped what yes so when he was kidnapped um his kidnappers were actually kinder than ice oh my gosh he had his own room. He had a bed. Uh, they knew that water wasn't going to work for his stomach, you know, so they would bring him sodas. Um, they would offer him different things to make him feel at home. And he ate some of the best Mexican food out there. So wow. he was just confused. <laughs> oh. so Is he we still, were- I guess he's still in Mexico. Yes. So he's currently trying to, my mom, like I said, had postpartum and just dropped us off. So he's getting to know my mom for the first time. Um, Because she, when she like, she left, she like left. She was like, I'm not doing this, but she's, he's getting to know my mom. So that's what's going on there. Wow. That is so intense. And so you got kicked off Instagram for talking about his story. Yes, because it's political. Right. And right now, elections are happening and so they don't exactly want you to share these stories that might 
that may sway people one way or another. Right. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep fighting the good fight and keep sharing those stories. Cause we all need to hear them and keep sharing your knowledge. We appreciate it so much. Of course. It's my pleasure. I always love when someone can take something out of it or say like, that makes sense and begin to practice it themselves. Yeah, it's fantastic talk to, talking to you. And I also think that sometimes things don't have to make sense in every sense of the word. Do you know what I mean? Like if there's a practice that's been used for so many years with just amazing intention and support, we don't always have to ask why and what and how. <laughs> like just do the work. If you if you think this can support you, do the work. And um So I really appreciate what you're sharing because it sounds like it's something that holds a lot of weight in many ways. Thank you. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you. Um, It's so nice to meet you and I'm sure there will be more of these down the pipeline. (laughs) (laughs) This is just the beginning of our relationship. Maite, thank you very much. It was wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Um, and especially as like a new mama. Well, a uh, old new mama. <laughs> I think you. every baby makes you a new mom. Right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Thank you all for listening to the One Strong Mama podcast for birth professionals. If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and a review. We really do appreciate all of the support. If you are a birth worker with an inspiring client, or if you have a birth pro in mind that we should definitely chat with, please email us at podcast at onestrongmama.com. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram at onestrongmamaprenatal for tips for all stages of pregnancy. And definitely join in on the discussion in the One Strong Mama Facebook community group. See you here next time. This episode is brought to you by the One Strong Mama program, the game-changing prenatal and postnatal program that prepares the body for pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Based on the Body Ready Method, teaching birth and fitness pros how to assess and train prenatal clients. Go to onestrongmama.com to learn more.